Welcome to episode seven of Retrospection, where we take an old film or TV show and see if it was better back then, or whether it's naughty nostalgia playing tricks with us. My name's Colin, and I'm in New York. And I'm Paul, and I'm not in New York. Where are you? <laughs> I'm in the UK. And on this episode, we're going to look into Walt Disney's Black Hole from 1979. We are indeed. It's, it's bleak. It's very bleak. The Black Hole was directed by Gary Nelson, who went straight back into directing TV after this film. What a shocker. <laughs> there stars Anthony Perkins as Dr. Alex Durant, Ernest Borgnine as Harry Booth, Maximilian Schell as Dr. Hans Reinhardt, Robert Forster as Captain Dan Holland, Joseph Bottoms as Lieutenant Charles Pizer, and Yvette Mimou as Dr. Kate McRae, and of course Roddy McDowell as the voice of Vincent, which stands for Vital Information Necessary Centralised. Believe it or not. Did you look that up? Yeah, I did. It's in the book. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot you'd read the book. And Slim Pickens as the voice of Bob, Biosanitation Battalion. Slim Pickens. So, so never a true word spoken. <laughs> and the great music is by John Barry. It is great music. It is. Yeah. So uh, this film was actually in development before Star Wars, but the success of Luke's film pushed the black hole forward. <laughs> Are you going to laugh every time I say black hole? It's uh, just just carry on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Originally, it was called Space Station One, and it was intended to be a Christmas 1978 release. But the film was pushed back because of its complex effects and was renamed Space Probe. And then eventually it began production in 1978 with a, a back then massive 20 million budget and was finally renamed The Black Hole. This was the first PG film for Disney because it has mild swearing. Where was the mild swearing? I don't know. That's the, that's the details I have. Okay. <laughs> it must be true then. <laughs> Was there not a couple of shits? <laughs> well, 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 Ernest Borgnine. Like I couldn't really say. So it was actually the twenty-first highest-grossing film of nineteen seventy-nine. Twenty-first. Twenty-first, yeah, and it had a twenty million dollar budget, and it only made thirty-nine million. There's no sequel to this movie. It's okay because what? Thirty years later, Disney bought Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, there were talks of rebooting the Black Hole. Since 2013, they've been discussing it, but I guess that's not going to happen now. Well, they don't need it anymore, do they? No. And some people suggested it's because this film is so dark and the script for the new one is also dark and that it's not something Disney are interested in doing anymore. Well, I mean, you say it's dark, but apart from the last sort of 15 minutes or so, I don't think it's that dark. But, I mean, we'll get to it as we go along, but but I beg to differ on that one. All right. So shall we just get straight into the film? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if your version had the same opening as mine, but mine begins with a black screen and an overture. I didn't I didn't have the overture, no. So I have an overture for, I don't know, five, ten minutes of music. But apparently it's apparently really, the overture was um, was something that was on the cinema at the time, though. Yeah, I mean, a lot of films, even Star Trek yeah. Motion Picture, had an overture mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. And it's a very bombastic, military-sounding theme which then has this ominous final note that leads into a stair field. What an odd concept, though, for uh, what is essentially a kid's movie, to start with a, a long overture. The overture was used so that people could find their seats and settle down, but a black screen's not going to help you very much. Not really, no. Unless they kept the lights on in the theatre. <laughs> so the kids can find their seats and, and not spill their popcorn. Yeah, and so you settle down, and then when you're all settled down, the film starts properly. Yeah, I suppose. It's just, do you imagine doing that today? I mean, people would be like, <laughs> come on, get a move on. 
Yeah, they'd rather blast your eardrums with a coke out Pretty of much, yeah. Yeah. So then we kick in with the John Barry score over a green wire mesh star field. I, I think these credits are really good. Yeah, they're, they're, they're interesting. They're very futuristic and they're, um, I mean, they look great. Yeah. Uh, and the theme tune is fantastic. Oh, it's, it's great. It music. really is. It's very Bond. It's very Bond, though, isn't it? But that's John Barry all over. It's Bond with a twist. Yeah. It's, Bond, it's Bond with a slightly ominous tone, I think, as well. It, definitely. And then the actual music finishes with something that sounds like, you know, the theremin sound from the 1950s yeah. films? Yeah, I was trying to place it. Sci-fi I was trying to films. place it at the time, but I couldn't think what it was. That's a, yeah, that's exactly right. And it just finishes and fades off. And then we start to hear Captain Dan Holland of the Palomino, and that's the ship that our heroes are mm-hmm. on, talking... And we learn that they've been in space for just over a year and that there's been an unscheduled course change. Ooh, I hate that. <laughs> and uh, we should point out that it's a crew of six people and one droid called Vincent. And he looks like a popper, a popper, popper, popper. He looks like a pepper pop. He does. And, he, and he's, he's, Float. he's very, um, he's very much a, a combination of, of something like R2 and C3PO molded together you know he's he's kind of the cuteness of r2 with the kind of prissy personality of c3po I think. and he speaks generally in metaphor he does yeah but then again most of the crew speak in exposition particularly in this particularly in this first scene <laughs> i didn't really notice that they do you think i didn't, oh, I didn't yeah. feel you know how sometimes you feel it and you're like oh this is terrible i didn't really get that i'm not i'm not saying it was terrible but it was it was certainly noticeable the, um, that, okay. that that whole opening segment was was them. Uh, we'll get to it, but it's them finding the the Cygnus, and then Ernest Borgnine's character explaining exactly who um, the captain of the Cygnus was and and his backstory, and they just get it all out of the way in that first couple of scenes. Okay, well, we should first uh, mention that the unscheduled cost change has been caused by a gigantic black hole that they've just discovered. Um, Vincent says. Um, this is the largest black hole I've ever encountered. Interesting that there's a very strong emphasis on the I've, suggesting he's been around before black holes than the others. So he's been around a few black holes in his time. Yes, he has. He's, 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 not a, he's no stranger to the black hole. Well, I'm not being funny, but he does kind of come across that way. And then we have a lot of discussion about how the black hole looks like it's something straight out of Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of allusions to the devil at this point. Which, which is going to get called back a lot in the movie, isn't it? Yeah. One of the things that made me laugh about this opening segment where they're in their ship is the the terrible zero-gravity acting that a lot of the actors are doing. It's like uh, stir cops. Yeah, they're, they're kind of like walking very slowly and, and moving like Thunderbirds puppets. Which, yeah. Which, which is, is yeah. kind of ironic considering you can see the huge, thick, black cables attached to them as they're floating around the, the cockpit they're not huge thick black cables oh, the tiny thin they're, they're wires massive. hardly visible you can, see, you can see where the 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 clothing is pinched up where they're attached to them oh you're exaggerating you hate this film before we've even started <laughs> they are, biased so biased the ironic thing is i don't <laughs> i'm just being honest you call it honesty <laughs> while they're looking at the black hole they see a ship that is unaffected by the huge gravitational forces of the black hole and is just stationary, which is impossible. Mm-hmm. So they run a check to see uh, what kind of ship this is, whether they can recognize it. And you notice it runs through different types of ships, and it includes one called the Arcturus 10 from the UK. Really? 
yeah, it goes through different countries like France and or America. Mm-hmm. And clearly space at this point is dangerous because these are all lost ships. Well, I'm not being funny, but if, if it's something that we put out there, it's going to get lost, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said that. <laughs> and it turns out to be the USS Cygnus, uh, a ship that had Kate's fervor on it. Convenient. Coincidental. Absolutely. Almost like it was uh, engineered that way. And this is a ship that was lost. Um, they were originally ordered to return to Earth when the mission became too expensive, but they ignored the order and disappeared. And this at this point that Kate does the worst line of the film. Which is? She discusses that the Cygnus' mission is the same as theirs, and that is to discover habitable life. Habitable life? She means habitable worlds, or she means alien life. You can't have habitable life. Life <laughs> is habitable. She's supposed to be a scientist. I didn't notice that, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a stupid line. It makes no sense. But she's foreign. Well, she has an accent. Does she? Yeah, did you watch this film? I did, but clearly I, <laughs> I didn't pay enough attention. It's a strange line. You think yeah. that, that, that someone would notice that? You would think so. Mm. But then again, why is she even there? I mean, what is her, uh, what is her contribution to the crew? I don't quite get. I didn't. I didn't quite get what she is. So let's talk about that. So we've got Robert Foster as Captain Dan Holland. He's the captain of the Palomino. Yes, mm-hmm. you know he's the captain because so, he rolls his sleeves up. And, he, and his name's Captain. <laughs> his name's That's Captain. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan's his middle name. <laughs> okay. Then we've got Dr. Alex Durant, Anthony Perkins. So he's like the science officer, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Charles Pizer, who's the lieutenant. Yeah. Who's, I guess, first officer. Equivalent, I would have thought so. You would say? Yeah. So my guess, I don't know. She's a doctor. It's Dr. Kate McRae, so she's another scientist. So what is Ernest Borgnine then? Well, this is where it gets a little odd, because Ernest Borgnine is a journalist. Maybe is it standard requirement in the future that all space missions have a journalist with them? Apparently, he, his job is to record the events of the mission and to report it back to Earth. That's why he's there. But this is like an Armageddon situation. Is why would you take a journalist and train him to be an astronaut, put him into space? When shall it be easier to find an astronaut who could string two words together? Yeah, it's an odd story no. choice, isn't it? Yeah, he seems to know he's a way around the ship as well, because when there's an emergency, he deals with it. Yeah, because, um, I mean, we'll get to it in a second, but they, they have a malfunction as they get, cause they get as they get closer to the Cygnus. They get pulled yeah. towards the black hole, don't they? And things start to break yeah. down. And they send him and Nancy Perkins down to fix some kind of coolant leak or something, don't they? So it's it's a weird thing. You only, and you don't find out he's a journalist till later, although you notice he's not wearing a uniform to say that the others are wearing. That's right, yeah, no, he isn't, is he? Yeah. They fly towards the black hole and... And they, they decide to take a look at this ship, a closer look, but they can only do one pass because of the strength of the black hole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they try to signal the ship, but they get no response. We get we get another callback of the, the great theme as as well. Yeah, we do. And while this is happening, we Harry, Ernest Bognin's character, talks about having met Dr. Hans Reinhardt, who is the commander of the Cygnus... Mm-hmm. And how the guy is an egotist, uh, but a, a genius mm-hmm. as well. As they fly over the Cygnus and look at it, this reminded me a lot of the, um, you know, the the Kirk moments from the motion picture, Star Trek, the motion picture, where he's been taken to look at the Enterprise. Although, oh, I see. Yeah. Although not, yeah. not quite as gratuitously long as, as that moment. <laughs> 
N- nothing is. No, it's not 25 minutes of yeah. flying around the Enterprise. But it, it has that kind of oh. feel where it's like, look at what we can do. They, they want to show off the effects. In the yeah, but look at the ship. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. The, the Cygnus is like uh, a kind of cross between some Victorian cathedral and science. It's a beautiful looking ship. Yeah. It's like a model you've never seen before. It, it, it's if, very gothic, isn't it? It's, 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 a, it's a really good design. So as the Palomino gets close to the Cygnus, suddenly all the forces of the black hole stop and disappear. Mm-hmm. And it's like this bubble around the Cygnus that protects them from the black hole. I think one of the characters describes it as, as kind of like being in, in the eye of a storm, don't they? Yes. And we also learned that Vincent... And Kate have an ESP link. No, I'm a bit, I'm a bit hazy on this. Why does a human being? How can a human being have an ESP link with a, a machine? Is Vincent truly a machine? Well, he looks like a machine. He looks like a machine, but is he truly a machine, or is he more than that? I would say he's a machine. I would say he's more than that. Why? Because uh, he speaks in metaphor, which AI devices usually don't understand or have trouble with. And he not only speaks in metaphor, he understands what metaphors mean and how they're used. He has an ESP link. He also discusses that he's seen other black holes before. And we also learned that in the past, other robots have gone into black holes to find out what's going on and communicated back to humans with ESP links. So what is to say that these robots that go into black holes come back as different beings? So you're saying that maybe he's, he's been in a black hole before and come, yes. and come back and now he's more than, than the sum of his parts? Yes, Okay. Now, is this is this just your theory, or is this in the movie? Um, this isn't just my theory. It's a well known theory, and it's all over the internet. No <laughs> one's talking about it, but you. <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly signposted in the film. I'm not sure I'm buying it, but but well, okay. <laughs> so Vincent Vincent has to go out and. Uh, there's a problem with the ship, mm-hmm. and he needs to fix parts of the Palomino before it's pulled apart by the black hole, um, and his tether snaps. <laughs> this was the thing that made me laugh. I, for a minute, I was trying to work out whether we were supposed to see the tether or whether that was part of the special effect, because I was, I'd was i noticed the tethers attached to him in previous scenes when he was just floating around inside the ship. So I, Those thin, thin, tiny wires. If you say so. And... Um, I couldn't work out, and, and then and then it, they did a big close-up of it snapping, so I thought, oh, right, that's where we are. Okay, he's supposed to be tethered. That's right, okay. They look totally different. Okay. Did, did you have your glasses on when you watched this movie? <laughs> no, I did have my glasses on. I watched it 12 inches from the screen. Did you? I was the... I was the... I can, I, yeah, I, can, I can imagine. So Charlie wants to help, but he's ordered not to, and there's a disagreement between the two. Mm-hmm. But Vincent manages to keep hold... And then the ship re-enters the zero G surrounding the Cygnus and all is calm. And then the Cygnus bursts into life. Lights come on. Mm-hmm. It looks beautiful lit up. Yeah, it does. Like, like I said, like a chandelier almost. Absolutely, yeah. And then Kate says she feels that there are people on board, which I don't know whether it's just her hoping because her dad could be on board or whether it's part of her ESP. I'm not sure. It, it would make sense if it was part of her ESP because of what we find out later. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they land on the Cygnus, but then they're taken aboard. Like the Palomino descends into the Cygnus, mm-hmm. and they decide what they're going to do. So they decide to exit the Palomino. Mm-hmm. Paiser is told to stay on board. Yeah. Um, the captain is armed, and, the, and their weapons are very um, 
distinct, aren't they? They're very different than anything we've seen before at this point. Right, yeah. They're kind of like little U-shaped things, aren't they? With They don't look like guns. They they look completely different than anything that we've seen. Even Star Trek, if you think about like the, the phases in Star Trek, they didn't look anything like this. Yeah, the design in this film is pretty mm-hmm. good. And as they exit the Palomino, their guns are shot away. Mm-hmm. And Vincent is shot, but he's okay. Now, what do you think about these robot guards? I think they're pretty good. They're, they're kind of stormtrooper-ish, but then this film was made too soon after Star Wars to be a copy, but they're, they're, they're pretty good. You don't like them? I think they look better when they're not moving. When they're moving around, they, they kind of give off that faintly 1970s Doctor Who vibe that, you know, you're looking, you're looking at a guy in a rubber suit walking around. Well, that not that true when we discover what happens later? Yeah, but they're, they're not, though, are they? They are actually robots. Yeah, they are robots. I was just, just you were just testing me then, weren't you? Just testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See if yeah. he was, pay- was, pay- was just paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I, I was drinking a bottle of wine while I was watching this movie, but I was paying attention. Best way to see this film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then they're taken to the bridge, and they meet Maximilian. This bridge is gorgeous. Yeah, it's a massive set. And the the I mean I know the the globes are uh, it's a matte composite but it looks fantastic. They've got these strange I presume they're like navigation things. They've got these huge globes in the center of the room with people working on them. You like a large globe? Oh dear me! Yeah, it's it's again I can't. It's one of the things that's great about this film is that the design is almost beautiful in times. It doesn't look like any ship that we've ever seen before. Particularly the, I mean, yeah, the exterior doesn't look like anything we'd seen before, but the interiors are very um, distinct. You know, you could never accuse the the set design in this movie of looking televisual, I don't think. Yeah, it reminds me of um, Metropolis, the black and white. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know how they've got the different levels of just people constantly working? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of that, although there's not so much movement, they're just sat at desks, but they're at different levels, just sat constantly working. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, It reminded me of that. Very slave-like. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we meet Maximilian. He's a large red... Beigey red, I guess. Robot yeah. with spinning blades and one red glowing eye. Almost devil-like. Mm. Scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. Oh, absolutely. I was terrified of him with his food blender hands. Yeah, and he's, and he's just not speaking. He's got mm-hmm. that red glowing eye. Ooh. And he's, he's com- got a complete personality, this robot. For something that doesn't really have a lot of articulation. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't do anything, but you're just like, he's one scary dude. It- it's the way that the head swivels and the light in the eye um, sort of changes slightly to denote how he's, what he's thinking. Right. You know? Like, people say, like, oh, when you see the Daleks in Doctor Who, there was always this idea you hide behind the sofa, you mm-hmm. know, that mm-hmm. line. And I never did that, but this, this would make me hide behind the sofa. Oh, yeah. This, I, this I, stuck I, with me long after the film finished. Absolutely. I saw this in the cinema at the time, and it scared the crap out of me. Just as an aside to do with Maximilian um I I always remember um I had some of the action figures as a kid to do with the black hole I think I had the captain and I think I had um Charlie who could possibly be the second in command guy that we talked about right and um I think I had Vincent as well but I also had a figure of Maximilian now the thing that always bugged me about the figure of Maximilian was this this robot did nothing other than float around and have food mixer arms that raised up right but the figure the arms didn't move 
They were, was they it were, just a single brown piece of plastic, it, the it, figure? It, it was just a piece of plastic painted red, and the arms didn't lift up or anything. And then that was the only feature that this robot had, and they couldn't even be bothered to do that, the action figure. So I had to, whenever, whenever I, I was trying to reenact a very famous scene from this film, which we'll get to at some point as we talk about it, I always had to tilt the action figure up and he he'd go in at a ninety degree angle onto the other action figure that I was <laughs> that I was trying to get. Well, that just sounds perverse. You know what? Compared to something else that happens in this movie later, oh, we'll get to it. Okay. <laughs> so at this point, we find Doctor Reinhardt. He comes out the shadows and he speaks to everybody and tells Kate that her father is dead. Mm-hmm. And he he looks at her and he says. The same eyes, and we yeah, and we we instantly know that this guy's batshit, don't we? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Harry starts to question Reinhardt, and this is where we learn that Harry is a journalist because mm-hmm. he's met him before. We said yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Reinhardt explains that the Cygnus encountered a field of meteorites, and this is something this film constantly does: is that it uses the wrong word. It keeps saying meteorites. They mean asteroids, don't they? It, it's almost like they didn't do any research. Yeah, it's like it was the science guy's day off. Mm. It's like, oh, what are those things that fly through space that are rocks? Oh, meteorites. Oh, yeah, that's about right, isn't it? <laughs> I guess we're lucky they just didn't call them rocks. <laughs> so he says that the crew abandoned ship to return home as ordered, and as far as he was aware, they made it. He, Dr. Reinhardt, chose to remain. And now he's discovered that the crew died on their way to Erfurt. That's what he says. Suspicious. And he created the robots that, to run the Cygnus. And then Paisa joins them, who's been brought along by the robots from the Palomino. Yeah. Captain Holland says he just wants to repair the Palomino and then leave. And they offers Reinhardt the chance to go with them, but he doesn't want to. He wants to remain on the Cygnus, but we don't know why. I think we know why, don't we? Why? He's got he's got a bit of a got a bit of a man crush, hasn't he? He's got a bit of a man crush on what? Maximilian? No, on um he's got a No no, we're talking about Reinhardt, not oh. we're talking not talking oh, about Oh right, sorry, yeah. Cause they say they say to Reinhardt, like, you can come with us now. That's right, yeah. And he says, No, I wanna stay. Mm-hmm. No, I was thinking of um Alex. Don't worry. I'll cut your stupidity out. <laughs> I rely on you for so many things. And that that's just one of them. <laughs> Meanwhile, throughout this conversation, we have scenes of Vincent standing off to Maximilian. Now, this is David and Goliath, isn't it? Yeah, which I think Dr. Reinhardt actually says, right? That's why I wrote it down. Oh, okay. Good. You were watching. I was, yeah. yeah. Surprisingly. I also wrote under my note of David and Goliath, I also wrote, Maximilian is a cock. He's just a bully, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he is a bully. Holland orders Dr. Reinhardt to call Maximilian off, which actually annoys Reinhardt who responds that on this ship you ask mm. and so they really don't kind of trust Reinhardt because he's clearly as you clinically observed batshit <laughs> you, you also kind of get the impression as well that, that we find out better more about as we go on but we, we, we get the impression that, that um, Reinhardt is kind of scared a little bit of Maximilian yeah like, you know he's it told is. him that to, to back off and giving him an order but you, you kind of feel like he's he's not sure whether he's going to actually do it or not yeah there's a, this feeling that we're not completely confident that he's in charge that's right yeah mm-hmm. 
So Reinhardt lets them go to repair the ship, leaving Harry, Kate, and Alex to talk to Reinhardt. Mm-hmm. While uh, Charlie, the captain, and Vincent are going towards the Palomino, they discover an old droid that's a similar model to Vincent called Bob. Who's very Disney. Yeah, he is. He, is. <laughs> he reminds me of, um, have you seen, um, Me- I think his name is Mater in the Cars movies? Oh, I only watched the first one. He's the, the, the kind of like um, the pickup truck. Who's kind of? Oh, okay, yes. You know, similar voice. Right, you know, right. He's kind of beat up. Yeah, beat up old yeah. redneck. I suppose. <laughs> That's one way of describing him. <laughs> and, and in this case, Bob doesn't speak because he's scared of Maximilian. He just shakes, mm-hmm. which I can appreciate. Now, again, this is another another robot droid, whatever you want to call it. That that seems to be very very human. I mean. Do, do, do robots get scared? I mean, I know I know the I droids know. in Star Wars have all got personalities, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, this one doesn't speak in metaphor. No, so you're saying he's not he's not been up the black hole. I, I'm saying he's not as advanced as Vincent. Right. Okay. While Kate and Alex are talking to Reinhardt, Harry sneaks off to do some investigating on his own. Meanwhile, Captain Holland is returning on the car to the Palomino. He sees a procession of droids carrying what looks like a six-foot-long box, and it looks like Paul Burr is carrying a coffin. And he's intrigued, and so he wanders along the cabins at the now-dead crew, and he's looking at their uniforms, their belongings, and I guess at this point he's thinking, if they abandon the ship, why is all their stuff still here? I think that's the, the impression we're supposed to be getting, isn't it? Yeah. Although I was thinking, these crew quarters don't have doors and they haven't got any toilets. Um, maybe they just got one toilet at the end. I mean, maybe that's why they abandoned ship. <laughs> Suddenly realized, you know, there's a design flaw here. This is like the Enterprise. There are no toilets. Yeah, I mean, because that's, yeah, that's a big ship. There's going to be some backup. Maybe that's what caused the black hole. Oh. Or maybe you can just fire it. Fire it into the black hole. Fire into the black hole. Who's going to know? Some aliens in the Gamma Quadrant. There's all this shite just going flying through. These bloody humans. Yeah. Maybe they think it's their way of communicating. Oh, there's another message coming. <laughs> there's one guy that can read it. <laughs> Where is he? Please, no more. No more. Yeah, Cold, Dung Master. <laughs> Dung Master. He's just sitting in the corner shaking. <laughs> This this burial scene though, I, I do remember that this giving me the creeps a bit as a kid. I don't know what it is about being um, shot off into space in a. This, this sounds this, this is coming out wrong, isn't it? Um, being being fired off into space in a in a box, it just feels a bit creepy. Okay. Never a big fan of the end. I'm never a big fan of the end of Star Trek Two. <laughs> really? He's dead. I, don't, I still like the idea. It's claustrophobic. I don't like it. He's I know, dead. Yeah, all right, you're dead. Yeah, but is he? Is he dead? Well, in this case, in this film, and not in the Who other film. Who knows in this film? Who knows in this film? Right, so yes. Anything could be happening in this film. <laughs> and at this point, Maximilian finds Holland watching this funeral, and Holland pretends that he may just made a wrong turn. And, and for, for an inanimate object that's just this big hunk of uh, whatever he's made out of, fiberglass or whatever, with a big red light in the head, the, the, the look on this robot's face is like... <laughs> It's like, the fuck have you been doing? You know, to me, he's like, he's like, oh, I, I, I made a wrong turn. And that look is like, that is the biggest load of shit I've ever heard in my life. Just get over <laughs> Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. 
It's the way that he watches him leave. The head just swivels. Yeah, the, him. It's, it's the body doesn't move and the head turns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the other side of the ship, Harry is also wandering around and he finds a robot and tries to talk to it. But the robots have this reflective face grill with holes around. And these are not the mm. droids that are sentries or security. These are the people operating the ship. Which are robots that um, Reinhardt said that he had to create once the crew abandoned the ship. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And Harry is distracted trying to peer through the steamed-up glass of the hydroponics area. And when he turns around, he sees this robot leaving, but the robot's limping. Ah. Harry tries to chase after him, and when he enters the corridor, the robot's gone. Mm-hmm. So at this point we go back to Holland, who's now talking to Pizer about the funeral, and they're discussing like why these robots seem so human, and they don't understand what's going on. Why would you make a robot with a limp? Why would robots hold a funeral? But then again, I, okay, I'll, I'll save it, I'll save it. I've got a question about this. Okay. But I can't really ask the question until we get the big reveal. So I'll wait for the reveal, and then I'll ask the question. Okay. So we go back to Reinhardt, and we discover that Dr. Durant is actually now in awe of Reinhardt's achievements. He's starting to be won over by Reinhardt. He's a bit of a suck-ass, isn't he? He is, but, you know, he's a scientist who's in the vicinity of what could be a great discovery, and he's also with someone who's considered a genius in his field. So I guess he's just, you know, he's just brainwashed by him, basically. Yeah, what do you think of... um... Anthony Perkins' performance in this film. Lazy. It is a bit, isn't it? It's kind of like he's phoning it in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't really have much to do. But he does get the most memorable scene in the movie, I think. <laughs> yeah, he does. And at this mm-hmm. point, Reinhard suggests dinner. Yeah, yeah, you'd eat anything that that guy makes, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so Holland and Pizer and Vincent are going to the dining area, but Vincent's not invited. He's a robot. Mm-hmm. Um, and they find a shooting range. Now, this is interesting. So Holland and Pizer leave Vincent there, is not invited to dinner, and Vincent says he hates the company of robots. So is this your your again your your whole theory that he's more than a robot? Yes. I suppose there there is a slight difference between the the guards on this ship, the 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 uh, we'll, we'll call them stormtroopers because that's what they are, and Vincent and Bob. Oh yeah. But then again, but then again, even the stormtroopers show have personalities particularly the one that they have the shooting match with in a moment. Yeah, because um, they have a shooting match with a robot. Star. Uh, yes, yeah, Star, Star. Who's supposedly the best on the ship. Why has he got a name? And why is he a different colour than the others? Don't they explain that? They give him a title? I presumed he was kind of like the captain of the, of the robot guards or something. Yeah, because his armour is black in colour, while the others are brown. That's right. That distinguishes yeah. him. And Bob once beat Star in a competition. Didn't go well for him, though, did it? No, 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 no. So now Vincent challenges Star. But Bob has the great line. He says, he did things to me. I don't... He delivers <laughs> it better, though, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the delivery's a little little more professional in the film. Bob has this great line. Bob has this great line where he says... Um, I that he did things to me that I don't like to think about. Yeah, that's a great line. Mm. It was funnier. It would have been funnier if I'd got it right the first time, but there you go. Can't win them all, can you? So we go back to the, the dinner, and Reinhardt starts to explain his plan, that he wants to take the USS Cygnus through the black hole and out the other side. That, that's a good goal. And everyone's like, well, that's impossible. And he gets angry that, you know, 
Nothing's impossible. I'm a genius. And if you had any doubts that this guy <laughs> wasn't crazy, you, you're uh, you're pretty much confirmed now, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now back at the gun competition, Vincent beats Star, who loses it in anger, mm-hmm. and uh, basically explodes. What What makes me laugh is that when when Vincent challenges him to the fight, he's a bit reticent about doing it, isn't he? At first, so then he gets peer pressured by the other robots. He kind of looks right. at them, and they're kind of like going. What's your problem? And he's like, yeah, all right, all right, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> it's just like being at school. It is, yeah, it reminded me, yeah. <laughs> and Bob tells Vincent to meet him in the Pert storage area because he wants to tell him something. Back at the dinner, Reinhardt reveals that he wants the Palomino to monitor the passage of the Cygnus through the black hole. And then Reinhardt leaves when Maximilian tells him that a probe from the black hole has returned. Yeah. And that gives them the chance to talk without... Reinhardt being around and they start to argue um, Harry says they should take over the Cygnus and force it home Captain Holland doesn't like that idea no, don't, don't you think that Harry's whole idea is, is kind of strange you know he's the journalist why is he suddenly all of a sudden because I mean we find out later that this guy's a coward but yeah, this this is another thing that I noticed actually with with these characters, they're inconsistent you know you've got, you've got Harry who um, one minute he's brave, the next minute he's not at the beginning of the movie, Charlie was all for saving Vincent when he was outside the ship. And then once he's back in the ship, he's kind of like, you know, having a go at him for being you know, a rust bucket or whatever. You know, it's very inconsistent, these characters, I think. Yeah, they almost sound like people. Oh, don't invoke realism <laughs> in the black hole. Well, that's a phrase you don't hear often. <laughs> I'm very realistic about my black hole. Trust me. <laughs> how old are you <laughs> not old enough apparently <laughs> we're talking about black holes and you think i'm not gonna make those jokes <laughs> come on how long have you known me so now we're in that part storage area and bob reveals that the robots in the ship are not robots at all but are created from the crew do you remember guessing this at the time because it, it no, was not it... when i was a kid uh, meanwhile kate suddenly tells dan that Vincent has communicated with ESP that they want them all on the Palomino straight away. But he doesn't want to go, does he, Alex? No, Alex doesn't want to go. Alex wants to stay with Reinhardt. He uses the phrase, on a pilgrimage straight into the mind of God. Yeah. That says it all, really, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But the others leave, and so this leaves just Alex and Kate at the uh, dining area. Mm-hmm. Um, Reinhardt returns, and he's annoyed that the others are left without escorts and decides to give his data and notes to Alex to return to Earth. That doesn't end well. No, it doesn't. So now, back at the Palomino, Vincent reveals that the crew tried to take over the ship. Reinhardt declared a mutiny and had Kate's father killed, then turned the crew into humanoid droids. Yeah. Okay, question. Okay, here we go. How big's this crew? Well, you would think a ship that size, they'd have a couple of hundred, maybe, at least. How many Reinhardts are there? But then again... One? Yeah, but then again, he had Maximilian. Yeah, but they could have jumped it. Would you you have tried to jump that robot? Well, it's either that or be turned into a lobotomized droid. (laughs) Yeah, but you could have got, you know, food blender, food blender hands in the face. Yeah, it just seems unlikely that so many people would be beaten by just Maximilian and Dr. Reinhardt. But, But did he get help? From what? Well... We never really find out where Maximilian came from, do we? Did Reinhardt 
build Maximilian? Was he always on the ship? It seems an odd robot to have on that ship when you've already got Bob, who seems to be the standard issue robot for space exploration. Biosanitation so, battalion. There you go. So, so where did Maximilian come from? I, I, I always presume that, you know, you kind of assume that, that, that Reinhardt built him. But yeah. did he? Did he build him? I don't know, because what would his function be normally on a ship when all he can do is spin his little blender arms? Exactly, exactly. Okay. And, in, and, in, and a lot of times, I mean, as we said before, Reinhardt almost seems frightened of him. Wait, are you saying that Dr. Reinhardt built Maximilian and then Maximilian helped Reinhardt kill the crew? Well, that's, that, that's the impression that I, was always got, that I always got from this movie, that Reinhardt built Maximilian. Okay. And then, and then they went on from there. But... When you think about, and we, I won't say too much about it because we'll get to it when it happens. But you think about the ending of this movie and the the the, the symbolism of it all. Did he build Maximilian, or was Maximilian given to him by some outside force that helped him take over the ship? Okay. Because because it doesn't quite fit together. I don't think that that Reinhardt built Maximilian, and then because Maximilian's almost like his own entity yeah. that came in as an outside influence there are questions Mm. oh there's a lot of questions (laughs) so they decide that they want to get off the ship immediately but holland wants to wait for alex harry says this is a waste of time because alex has been hypnotized by dr reinhardt Mm -hmm. the captain tells vincent to communicate with kate tell her what they found and get to the palomino even without alex Harry loses it at this point. He just wants to go. Yeah, he's, he's, he suddenly gets a bit of a, a panic on, doesn't he? Yeah. So back with Reinhardt, Kate tries to warn Alex. She tells him what's going on with the crew. And as Kate and Reinhardt argue, because Reinhardt's like, oh, what's going on? Is there a problem? Alex pulls one of the masks of the robot, revealing a soulless human face. And and this scared the crap out of me as a kid. It did? Oh, yeah. I, 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 rem- I actually remember in the cinema... He's like, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> Is that what you said? Did you sit there and you went, oh, I don't like that? I was internalizing it. Okay. It was probably, uh, I, uh, back in, what, was it 1980? I was probably six, so it was probably more of a, but that's what I meant. Okay. And Reinhardt's response is, uh, they will be dead by now, all dead. It was the only way to keep them alive. My greatest achievement. Why would they be dead? Because... Because they didn't do what he wanted them to do. Yeah, that's a good point. Why would they be dead? They're still... Yeah. If he's alive, so they want to have grown old. Exactly. Um, let's think. He's Why? mad. He's mad, I tell you. <laughs> well, yeah, he is. <laughs> so Alex and Kate try to escape, but Maximilian shuts the door and then uses his rotating blender blades to go through Anthony Perkins' Alex stomach. No. In a scene where Anthony Perkins gives it his all, <laughs> he does. He does undersell it slightly, doesn't he? Yeah, but he, 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 his voice sounds like he's in a blender. Ironically, <laughs> it does. Like <laughs> but the thing is, watching this today, I always—I don't know what it is—but but as a kid, I always remembered this scene a lot more gruesome than what it actually is. It's really brief. And, and you don't see anything. There's no blood or anything. No, no, his focus is on his face. But as a kid, thinking back on it, I always I always thought you saw more. That's the genius of this film. What, that it works on six-year-olds and scares the crap out of yeah. them? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what Disney wasn't looking for at the time. <laughs> Maybe not. That's what they got. 
So, oh yeah, they got it. So yeah. and we find Reinhardt is actually angry for Maximilian for killing Alex, but clearly has no control over it because he leans towards Kate and he whispers, "Protects me from Maximilian." See, there you go, Maximilian. I don't. I, I think that I, I, my theory is that Maximilian was either given to Reinhardt from an outside force, or I don't think he built him. Well, that would seem to go with what you're suggesting. Mm-hmm. Reinhardt orders. Kate to be taken to the hospital, which I assume he's going to turn her into a robot. It seems like an odd thing to do, but that's what he's going to do. Well, I, sp- I presume that this is the procedure that he uses on everyone to, to wipe the memory and, or brain or whatever and turn them into these drones that he's using. I guess. You just kill her. What's the point? It's a bit harsh, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But it's a bit, a bit harsh. over the top. But then we're not dealing... She hasn't really done anything. No, but we're not dealing with a normal guy. No, no he gets progressively less normal as it goes yeah. along, doesn't he? And he contacts the <laughs> Palomino, telling him that Kate and Alex have decided to stay aboard, but forgets that Vincent has ESP with Kate, and Vincent can tell the truth and, you know, tells Holland what's going on. So Holland, Vincent, Bob decide to rescue Kate, leaving Charlie and Harry in the Palomino. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reinhardt, realising this is what's going to happen, says the time has come to liquidate our guests. And he sounds the alarm. Uh, and also at this point, Reinhardt has decided to complete his mission to head into the black hole and fires up the Cygnus' mm-hmm. engines. Which look great. Yes. Uh, and we get the music again. Yep, great music. Which any time that music's played is it, it lifts the movie I it think. does yeah and harry starts to panic in the palomino but charlie says no we wait for the others to return and at this point we get a long sequence of rescuing laser fire uplifting music knocking out droids rescuing kate yeah i wrote star wars gun battle yeah it's very <laughs> uh it's very star wars these droids these 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 robotic soldiers they're not very bright are they no there's one scene where they're on the bridge and they're studying a row and so yeah. Just shoots them like dominoes, <laughs> one by one, and they don't move. They they really don't move, and when they fall off the bridge, they look very rubbery. Yeah, it's almost it? like there's nobody in the suits. Yeah, it is, isn't yeah. it? But then the droids, so there wouldn't be anyone in the. No, that's in the true. Suit, would that's true. Yeah. Realistic. So it's true to it life. Is. It's great. It's absolutely. Yeah. So they're all running back to the Palomino. Harry is really getting antsy at this point. Dr. Reinhardt orders his robots to kill anybody they find between the control centre and the Palomino. you got me some great map paintings at this point. Oh, yeah, where they run across the bridge. That's, that's gorgeous. Yeah. And there's some weird synchronised firing and flying with Bob and Vincent. Oh, yeah, where they, they kind of get them in a crossfire, don't they? They fly over the top of the, of the robots yeah. and come at them from behind as the, as the heroes are shooting from the front. Yeah. Why don't they shoot? As I say, they're not really... That bright, these robots are. They won't they shoot them while they're flying over the top. Yeah, you've got to imagine, though, they're, they're good at shooting at targets, but where would they learn tactics? They've never had to deal with other people before. I suppose that's true. This is the first time anyone's actually been on the sickness. Which makes you wonder why he bothered making a robot army in the first place. Did, did he make them just on the off chance that they might bump into some? <laughs> yeah, maybe, like, because the sickness was recalled because the mission was becoming too expensive. Maybe he thought the accountants would turn up. So I'm going to build this army just in yeah, case. Just in case the bureaucrats arrive. That's good enough for me. I'll take it. Okay. So they're pinned down and Holland tells Charlie to just lift off. But Charlie refuses and he leaves the Palomino with Harry to go and rescue the others. Well, no, Harry, um, Harry pretends he's hurt himself, doesn't he? As they leave the Palomino and then Harry falls over and pretends that he's hurt his leg. Yeah. And Charlie says, oh, you go back to Palomino, get everything ready. And we learn that Harry is really faking it. 
runs into the Palomino, mm-hmm. closes the door. And he starts, stitches them up. Yeah, he starts to fire up the rockets because the journalist can fly. Yeah, but then it, but, but he can't, can he? No. No. <laughs> what was his plan? I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird, weird plan. You, you're any, he, he lifted it off and then suddenly thought, shit, I don't actually know how to do this. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I'm doing the frosters, doing the frosters. Wait, how do you go left or right? Where's the steering wheel? It's not like a PlayStation game, this, is it? Maybe he thought he'd learnt enough because he'd been in there over a year. He'd been watching? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was his logic. Harry fires up the rockets and he's going to leave without them. And just as all the others arrive at the Palomino, it takes off with Harry inside. But he can't control it and it's like wavering everywhere. And Dr. Reinhardt sees this and decides to destroy it. And so he fires a missile at it and destroys it, but it crashes into the Cygnus and starts to rip through the Cygnus cars and explosions. And at mm-hmm. this point, that they think, well, there's no way off the Cygnus now. And then they realize the probe ship, if they could get to the probe ship, they could leave that way. So they go to make the exit and get into the ship. But the problem is the, the Cygnus is starting to buckle all over the place now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and then the meteors come in and start to hit the Cygnus. Mm-hmm. Then, <laughs> no, I, I, wrote, um, I wrote Attack of the Red Blobs. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I, I don't remember this movie being in 3D, but some of it looks like it really should have been in 3D. There's that one shot of that huge red meteor rolling down the towards that bridge, and right. it's coming towards the screen. Right, and it, it looks like it just looks like something that if it was done today, it'd be in IMAX and it'd be in 3D and it'd be huge. Oh, sounds good. It's not. You're not going to get that IMAX re-release. It's not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> so they then run into the hydroponic garden and the garden is hit by a meteor and it turns mm-hmm. into a frozen wasteland and there's some weird stuff going on with the gravity here that only affects certain people yeah the the, the i question the physics of this really yeah <laughs> yeah there's there, there's something strange going on with the laws of gravity yeah because while <laughs> Bob and Vincent are floating away, and I think Pies are stairs that float away. Holland somehow sticks to the ground. He's not affected by this gravity. Almost like he's got magic boots. Do you think that these were issued just to the captain? They seem to be, don't they? Yeah. Maybe that's the privilege of rank. It could... It could what? what? The privilege of rank. So Vincent cuts through and makes an yeah. exit from the garden that somehow the various people are not affected by gravity. Bob is frozen. At this point, Cygnus is really being battered by the black hole. The black holes. Cygnus is really being battered by the meteors. You don't want to be battered by the black hole. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Not unless it's a Friday and you don't have to get up next day. Yeah, you need a lion after that, don't oh, you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Reinhard realises that this is not going well. <laughs> you could say that. Yeah, the ship's falling <laughs> apart. There's girders crashing down. So he tells Maximilian to prepare the probe ship that the others are running to. But unfortunately, then he gets flattened by a huge flat screen TV. Yeah, he does. And he calls for help from Maximilian, who ignores him and leaves. Does he ignore him? Because I I wondered that as well. Because as he's calling for help, the doors are closing on him, aren't they? So do you think he heard him and he just ignored him? Yes, totally. He's like, he's done. He's done. Yeah. I, I think the moment that Reinhardt said prepare the probe ship, Maximilian 
I'd thought that's it, screw him because the, Maximilian. This guy's lost. This guy's yeah, lost it because Maximilian yeah. wants to carry on with the, the mission. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, almost like he wants to take him back somewhere, isn't it? See what I'm getting at? No. So, <laughs> also we see the robots that Reinhardt created from humans the humanoid cyborgs or whatever you want to call them. They're not listening to Reinhardt as he calls for help. There's no help there, is there? Nope. No, there's no help there. So he just cries in silence to himself. (laughs) Like a Friday night. (laughs) (laughs) Or a Saturday morning. (laughs) Or a Sunday night. Or any night. Yeah. Maximilian manages to locate Holland, Kate, Charlie, Vincent and Bob in this giant ship. (laughs) Is that sarcasm? No. And while Vincent tries to stop Maximilian, the others make their escape. And there is a battle between David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. And from what I could tell, Vincent basically screws Maximilian to death. Looks like it. He opens a little propeller blade and it goes straight through into Maximilian's chest. Innards. And Maximilian screams, which is the first sound we've heard from Maximilian. And, and at one point, um, Vincent's, the top of his head goes really high up and his eyes look like he's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, because he's really pushing you know, all his power into Is this. Is that what he's doing? <laughs> he's really pushing all his power into this weapon. Well, yeah, you know, you'd have to really, wouldn't you? Yeah, because Maximilian's a tough guy. Droid. That's right, yeah. And then Maximilian floats off into space because now he's affected by the gravity but where's this is what i'm getting at where is he floating off from so if he's floating off into space there's clearly a massive hole in the top of this corridor where they're flying yes there is but the people are running around in it not at this point the others have left okay but vincent's still there so why is he not floating off? vincent has anti-magnetic powers of flotation oh he's got anti-magnetic <laughs> powers has well, he? he float he floats wow. What is this, Doctor Strange? He floats. <laughs> he floats, yeah. Well, well Maximilian's floating. He's just floating yeah, off. <laughs> because there's no control. He's dead. Or right. his physical being has ceased to be. Is that what it is? I'll, I'll go with it. I'll At this point, we come on. back to Reinhardt, who's laying crushed by the flat screen TV. And he whispers... <laughs> it's a big TV. It is. He whispers, all light and dies. He does. And we also have another death. Bob dies. And did you cry? Every time. <laughs> Every time. And did you cry at this? Every time. And Vincent has to leave him. At this point now, the black hole is not black anymore. It's red, angry, almost hellish. Everything's turned into hell. And have you noticed that the walls are suddenly paper as well? Well, they're, they're affected by the gravitational forces. <laughs> <laughs> they look like the walls in Moonraker, you know, at the end of Moonraker when yeah. they're running around them. <laughs> At this point, Charlie's been pulled away from the others towards the black hole, but he's mm-hmm. rescued by Vincent, who can move away from the black hole and pulls him back. No, he couldn't do this at the start of the movie, so what's he learned? Uh, we'll discuss that later. <laughs> at this point, the, the soundscape is going into overdrive because there's like eerie sounds, and then visually there's lots of smoke. The colours have changed completely. We're into reds, browns, yeah, violent colours. Yeah, definitely. So Holland, Kate, Charlie and Bob, they finally manage to board the probe and they launch off and the Cygnus is pulled into the black hole. Mm-hmm. But then they realise that the probe has been auto-programmed into the black hole. They've no choice. And they say, let's pray. 
he's a genius. And they go in. And they enter. And at this point, we get time is distorted. The screen warps like crazy dizzying effects. The past can be heard in voices. The screams, the word dead, it's uttered over and over again. The sound gets louder and louder. And then silence, except for an eerie wind. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) An eerie wind. Yeah. That that was Vincent, and he apologizes for it. (laughs) No, I was thinking I had one of them last night. It's very uh, reminiscent of 2001 or even Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yes, yes, that other great uh, successful movie. (laughs) Yeah, but the thing is, it can't be a... When was 2001 released? 60s. Okay, so so it can be a copy of that, but it can't be a copy of Motion Picture. No, no, because they were roughly around about the same time, I think. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. I remember this and motion picture being on the back of cereal boxes at roughly the same time. The, well, Star Trek the motion picture was actually released two weeks before the black hole. Well, there we go then. Um, at this point, we see Reinhardt floating through a purplish smoky space. His hair is blowing in a wind, which can't exist because we're in space. And then he joins with Maximilian. Yes, I wrote robot man sex. Yes. They, they kind of hug, but then we see Reinhardt's frightened eyes peering from inside Maximilian. He's been swallowed up. Yes. And now Maximilian is now stood on a mountain enveloped in orange light and smoke, looking over a fiery landscape that looks like Dante's Inferno, which, remember, mm-hmm. we mentioned at the very beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And below them, overlooked by Maximilian, the robots are walking across fiery bridges to the doom. Yeah. Ah, no, are they the robots? Is that what they are? There's the robots, but then there's the actual humanoids, the crew, as well. I I, I just wrote hell demons. (laughs) No, no, they're they're the robots, and then you see the Cygnus' crew without their masks. Is that what they are? Yeah, yeah. The soulless faces are watching, staring out from the screen, like many versions of the Scream, the painting. Very good. If you remember, Reinhardt says about the robots, how medieval they look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, here and this, we have, is a, this is a scene from medieval... This is a medieval version of hell. Absolutely. So we see fire, and then we see white light, and we see arches, and an angel floating through from the bright light. And this is to do with the Palomino. The Palomino sees the white light. This is their side of things. And the probe breaks through the black is that, hole. Do you think that this is what the, that, that is supposed to be an angel? Yes. And so there's white okay. light shining through the probe. And as the crew finally awake, it turns back to the blackness of space. And in the distance, a planet can be seen, or a star, or heaven, maybe. And the probe approaches. And then the film ends. And then the Disney executives go, <laughs> What the? Where's the mouse? Oh, we wanted a Star Wars movie. <laughs> it was going so well. Well, do you want to go first? Well, where do we start? All right, first of all, do you like this film? <sighs> I do. I've always liked this film. I, I enjoyed it as a kid, and I think... But I, I do question whether my enjoyment of it now okay. is because I enjoyed it so much as a kid. Because looking at it, particularly on this watch, because I, I haven't watched it for a while, I noticed maybe it was because I was being critical because I'm, you know, I was watching it for the podcast, but a lot more things bothered me about it than they used to. Mm-hmm. Such as? Such as... Um, I don't think I don't think the characters are particularly well written. Mm-hmm. I think that you know the 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 very very dodgy physics mm-hmm. at times, the ending 
mm-hmm. which looks beautiful, but is it just it just seems to come out of nowhere. I mean, I know we get we get little calls to it. You know, they mention little things that, that they're calling back to later, but really it comes it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie i don't think Mm -hmm. and it just seems like if this was made today there'd be a lot tighter control over it yes there would yes there'd be be reshoot if if that ending was was presented to disney today oh you can guarantee there'd be reshoots going on (laughs) absolutely and it would be a fair dollar unimaginative film probably i can't i can't say you're wrong you know just because this is very singular does it mean it's right does it mean it's the right choices okay do, do you think the filmmakers made the right choices here i don't i don't know because it i mean at the end of the day it's it, it's meant to be a disney movie it's meant to be disney's answer answer to star wars at the time is it of course it was. Of course it was supposed to be their answer to Star Wars. Every every studio... How can it be their answer to Star Wars when it was in development before Star Wars came out? Yeah, but who's to say that, that what they had... It, it might have been in development before Star Wars, but you're not telling me that once Star Wars came out, they didn't jig it around. Oh, let's have a... a, a, a let's have the cute robot. Let's have the... the um, the shooty space battle thing that we've got, you know, with the, I'd, they seem like elements that probably weren't in the original script that was developed at that time, whereas the ending probably was. And the two things don't fit together particularly well, I don't think. Okay. I think we, I think we were either going to get the movie that Disney wanted, which was the version of Star Wars. Or we were going to get the movie that was in development before it became Star Wars, before Star Wars happened, which was the which was probably had that ending and probably was a lot darker. And what they tried to do in the end was merge the two together. And I don't think it it, it, it just seems like it doesn't fit together very well. Go on, tell me I'm wrong. No, no, I, I get your point. You're saying that I, I totally understand what you're saying, that there's two different versions Two, it's almost like there's two different scripts that have been stuck together for this film and that they're not successful in combining the two. Yeah. I think if Star Wars hadn't have happened, what we would have got would have been a completely different movie with all the darker elements that we get in this movie, but without the lighter touches that Disney put in with the with you know with the with the funny robots and the, the Although bear in mind the funny robots and stuff is a trademark of Disney regardless of the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, but... This but, is the darkest Disney movie at this point. And they've never made anything like this before. They've made nothing like this before. This is totally in a different direction for Disney at this point. But you're not telling me that they, they didn't change aspects of it when Star Wars came out. I don't know. Star Wars was, what, 1977? Yeah, but, I mean, it was huge everywhere. And, and every studio was this trying is, to make a Star Wars as well. Everybody wanted this a Star released, Wars movie. Yeah, but this was released in 79. They would have had to start filming two years before. It would have been a hard push to change the black hole for di- for Star Wars at this point. So you're so you, so are you t- are you saying that you don't think that they changed anything because of Star Wars? I'm sort of agreeing with you, but I'm saying that Star Wars is not the impetus for the change. I'm saying that it's a Disney film that has Disney elements, but whoever wrote it was writing outside of the Disney style, and then they combined the two. I'm saying that Star Wars didn't have an effect on this because it's too soon after Star Wars, but I'm saying Disney style had an effect on it. So I'm agreeing with you that there's two different types of films here slopped together, but I'm saying it's a Disney film, and then it's this other darker film that 
poses much deeper questions than many other science fiction films, and it's been slapped together unsuccessfully. But I'm not saying the Star Wars had an influence on it. So, do you think then, if you're saying it was always, it was clearly always a Disney Disney movie, that ending? Are you saying that that ending was always what they were going to do? So, it's, say for example, Star Wars hadn't happened and they hadn't inserted the the space battle aspect of it you're saying that they still have the cute robots and they probably would still have had that ending. I'm saying that the cute robots are a Disney thing. Yeah. And that the ending is something that Disney were trying to do to be darker, edgier, to appeal to the 2001 side of things. What a strange thing to appeal to, though, for Disney. Well, that's the point. It was totally different. It was something, it was just a new direction. It didn't work, so then they stopped doing it straight away. Yeah, I, I can see. I, I, yeah, I can see. I can see that. It just it, it just seems like a complete misstep to me. It does, but to me, that's why this film is great. If they had gone a traditional ending, then I would not be talking about this film now, and I would never remembered it. After, you know, from being a kid, it's the ending that sticks in your head being a kid because you're like. I have no idea what that was. It scared me. I don't understand it. And then years later, you're like, oh, I, I remember that film because of those elements. But you're saying you remember that movie because of the ending. So are you saying that, that, it, that it's the ending that makes the movie great? In which case, what about the, the hour and 15, 20 minutes that happened before the ending? <laughs> Do you know what no, I mean? Those, those are great too. But but you're predominantly saying the no, ending is what you... Everyone remembers the ending of this movie because nobody understands yes. it. <laughs> well, not everybody doesn't understand it. Oh, no, you've got theories. You've got, yeah, but... No, 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 no. There's actually... Um, and I'm going to put it in the show notes. If you go to John Kenneth Moore's Reflections on Cult Movies and TV, he has a very good review of this film where he talks about how that the film is not science fiction... It's a spiritual film about Minichiism. And it's actually a very interesting read. So Minichiism, it's an elaborate, and this is Wikipedia, not my idea, elaborate dualistic cosmology describing the struggle between good, the spiritual world of light, and an evil material world of darkness. Through an ongoing process which takes place in human history, light is gradually removed from the world of matter and return to the world of light whence it came. And his suggestion is that's what this film is about. It's about Minichiism. I don't know. I, and that works it, for me. That really works for me. I don't know, me. though. I, I think you're giving a lot of credit to something that was essentially just a little Disney movie. That It's not, though. That's the point. It's not a little Disney movie. Are you, are you, are you seriously is... telling me that they, that is what the intention was? That's what they're yes, trying to it say? Yes, escaped from Disney. Yes, totally. There's all references throughout the whole film about evil, about light, about darkness. Even the name of the ship, the Palomino. What's a Palomino? Well, one version of the Palomino is it's a type of horse. But in American Spanish, the Palomino is dove-like. What's the dove used for? Well, in Noah's Ark, the dove is a symbol of looking for land in a flood. That's what the Palomino is. It's all about biblical references. This whole film is spiritual. And that, and, <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> and you're happy with that? Yeah, I love it. I mean, that's great. That that makes this film amazing. The weird to me. thing is, uh, do you, do you think that you feel that way about it 
because you saw it as a kid. I mean, if if this if this was made today and it was exactly the same, would you still think it was great, or would you have a different opinion? No, but when I loved it as a kid for different reasons. I loved Bob and Vincent when I yeah, was a kid because so they're yeah. fun mm-hmm. characters, and you cried over Bob. But there was also something about the end. Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't yeah. understand all. I didn't understand all this stuff. It was an ending that forever later in life you went oh i remember black owl i never understood that ending. i, I remember having i, I remember having conversations mind. with my mum over this ending you know she was she she my mum was a big horror fan and she did we didn't have a you know deep meaningful conversations about movies but this was one of the times that i remember her saying to me so you know are they in hell are they and and just the fact that she would question it yeah, you know? to me, to me, the black hole it, is nothing to do with science. It's a metaphysical representation of hell. Clearly not, because they keep fucking the science up at any opportunity. Exactly. <laughs> Maximilian is Reinhardt in a sense, but he's the physical evil of Reinhardt. That's why Reinhardt's scared of him because Maximilian is Reinhardt. Is his evil, but made in a physical form. I suppose that would tally in, into the whole thing of of what are you know my my theory that that he didn't make him. Right. You know, yes. there was some outside force that, that helped him along, you know, that saw something in him that helped him along and gave him Maximilian, who is basically him, right. another aspect of him, like, as you say. And then that's why the Palomino goes towards the light. They're not evil. The, the whole thing at the end with the, with the stained glass windows and the angel, mm-hmm. I just think it's a bit much. You know, I can t- I can I can just about take the, the, the devilscape and, and all of that. But as soon as those um, windows appear and we get the angel floating towards them, leading them to safety, which is what that's supposed yeah, to signify. Yeah, because they, they've been judged. Yeah. And I, Reinhardt I, has been judged and goes to hell and the crew of the Palomino have been judged and they don't. They go to the new world. I don't know. Just something about it doesn't sit right. And, and Vincent is not affected by the pull of the black hole because he has no soul. But you said he was more than a robot. Yes, but he has no soul. He's not judged the same way. He's not evil. But he's got a personality. I mean, he's, he makes choices based on good or bad, doesn't he? You're, you're saying he can avoid it because he's not got a soul. Right. But he makes choices based on good or evil. Why? If he's got no soul. So now you're saying he is more than a robot. You're agreeing with me that it's mother. No, I'm, I'm not agreeing with you. I'm just using your argument against you, which is something I like to I do. Are you using it against me? Because you're saying that he's not being judged because he's got no soul. But I'm so, but but then you say he's more than a robot, and I'm saying he makes choices based on good or evil, and he makes good choices. Why are the good choices any better to him than the bad choices? All right. So you're saying that he has a soul. That I'm wrong. That he doesn't have a no, soul. No, I'm not saying he's got. I'm not saying evil. Why? I'm just. I'm asking you why. If he's okay, so so you've convinced me he has a soul and he makes the choices that he's right, and that's why he goes with the crew. But then why isn't he judged? He is judged. That's why he joins the Palomino. But you said he wasn't judged. No, I've changed my mind. You're right. You've convinced me. <laughs> you've convinced oh, you're so, me. You're so fluid, aren't you? You've convinced me. No, your, your argument has convinced me. Wow, we've got that on record. You it's, don't mean it. It still fits in with what I said. You're only agreeing with me because you know because it proves you're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was leading around to. <laughs> See, I, I dropped something that's completely wrong in the conversation. You leap on it, prove my point, and then I bring it back. You think I'd learn. <laughs> <laughs> so, anything else you'd like to say about this film? I, I like the name of the ship, the Cygnus, mm-hmm. um, which comes from the word signet, 
which we know is mm-hmm. a young swan. And there's a novel by Sir Mortimer by Murray Johnston, and the line is, he looked towards the signet still as a painted ship upon the silver sluggish flood, which I think fits in with the film and fits in with the Palomino being dove-like and avoiding the flood. Deep, this film, right? It is. Wow. I'm impressed. Um, there's also the all light comment, and this is from the Reflections on Cult Movies and TV website where they talk about the maybe referencing William Wordsworth's poem Evening Walk where he says all light is mute amid the gloom the interluning cavern of the tomb so it also references the idea of darkness and light etc although I prefer Terry Pratchett's quote which is light thinks it travels faster than anything but it is wrong no matter how fast light travels it finds the darkness has always got there first and is waiting for it when's your paper out? well i've got to say that you you've convinced me that there's something more going on here than i just thought bad choices that (laughs) disney execs were gonna have a massive fit over (laughs) i i don't deny there's some there are some terrible lines and there are some bad science in the film but i think it's almost as if they didn't really the writers anyway didn't really care about the science because they were thinking of other things at the time so what you're saying is that they didn't care about the science because they were fixated on the message that they were trying to get across i i think so what an odd choice though to to try and get a message across in a disney movie oh yeah totally you know yeah which is probably why it didn't work that's why it made 39 million on a 20 million budget because i mean disney clearly wanted this to be the uh, the I mean, they, they wanted it to be a franchise, didn't they? That whole ending of them going off towards a planet or wherever they're going to is open-ended for a reason, isn't it? So that, you know... Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. We could possibly meet up with these yeah. people again. But the film was heavily criticised for its bad science. I mean, um, I have a colleague who describes it as the worst movie ever made, which suggests more which is harsh that's harsh well it suggests more about his movie knowledge than about the film itself because in a world where the love guru exists (laughs) there's no way the black hole is the worst movie ever made (laughs) and but he doesn't like it because of the scientific flaws Mm -hmm. in it Mm -hmm. but that's because he's missing the point it's like he's looking at salvador dali's persistence of memory painting and looking at the melting clocks and going oh those clocks wouldn't melt in that sun yeah very practical you know, it's just, yeah it's totally not understanding what the film's about and i've got to say that, that even as a kid there, there was something about this movie that that um intrigued me and i think it was probably down to the ending and the fact that i didn't have a clue that was going on it made you question it and you thought about it and it was a movie that you thought about even as a kid you thought about it afterwards Right. Every time you watched it, you thought about it. You were trying to figure out what did it mean? What was what was that ending all about? And you could never quite right. get there. What's interesting is that two weeks before Star Trek The Motion Picture came out, mm-hmm. which made a lot more money than this film, but that one also has strange moments in it. Yeah, that's another um, a movie that, that didn't deliver what people expected it to deliver. Right. In, so, in the way that this did. So maybe there was just something in the air at the time. <laughs> oh, in 19... <laughs> oh, or maybe, yeah, maybe they were smoking something I think in the air what, at the time. I think there were a lot of things in the air back in there. 
in the late 70s. <laughs> yeah. So I guess finally, after all that we've talked about, the question is, is it a hit or a miss? Do you still think it holds up today? You know what? I, I, I was thinking about this since I watched it today and I, and I kept wavering backwards and forwards. And I think I would include it. I think it's, a, it, it, yes, it, it's it's got enough going on and there's enough intriguing moments in it. And, you know, the great scene of, of Anthony Perkins <laughs> being ripped to shreds <laughs> and the ending. Yeah, it's not perfect by any means. I mean, in some ways, it's quite terrible, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's not terrible enough that you can't deny that there's something there. You know, there's something there that, that's worth revisiting and looking at more than once, I think. So, yeah, I'd include it. You? Right. I think I know the answer to you to your to that question. Hate it. It's a terrible film. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love this film. I love it on so many different levels. I love it as a kid and what it did to me as a kid and how it stuck with me all this time. I'm not denying there are some problems with it. I think design-wise it's beautiful. There's some very creative and imaginative model work, matte paintings and effects. And I think the fact that even if you think that what I've said about it and about the Manichaeism and all that is nonsense. The fact that you can even think about that with this film, this Disney major motion picture, mainstream film, is kind of an cool that you can actually even talk about that. Yeah. There's even, not, if you think it's, even if you think it's nonsense. There's not a lot of movies today you could say that about. No, no, totally not. So I, I think it's, yeah, it's a hit. I like it. I always enjoy watching it. Me and the too. music's fantastic. Oh, the music's great. It's great music. So that pretty much wraps us up for the black hole. So join us on our next episode when we head back to Glen A. Larceny and we take a look at the 12 colonies as they escape the Cylon attack and head to the shining planet on Battlestar Galactica, the original, not the remake. Thank you for listening. And you can find us on Twitter at RetroSpecky. You can also find us on Facebook. And you can email us at retrospection at email.com. So if you have any ideas for films or TV shows that you'd like us to sit through, then please feel free to send us a message. Thank you for listening. And that's been Retrospection. So join us on our next episode when we... we, we oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so join us on our next episode when we... Oh, I can't say it. <laughs> Do you, want, do you want me to have a pop? And then if you can't get it done, I'll just... So join us on the next episode where we'll... Where we'll blah, blah. I can't do it either.